Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. I'm Jed. And I am Jay. How's everybody doing out there? They can't answer you. They might be able to answer me. They can email us. They can email us. And speaking of emailing us, we got an... (laughs) Every time I get one from Australia, you know, I want to say, we got one from down under. But... (laughs) Awful. Please stop. Well... Australians, write me back. Is that horribly offensive, or is it like par for the course? I'm sure that's what you get every time. Oh, I'm sure. But two, like the handful of Australians that I've met, are way more, uh, or I should say, harder to offend than the majority of Americans. Yeah, they're like the Southerners of the world. Oh, for sure. You know what for I mean? Sure. Yeah. So oh, we're, yeah. we're kindred. Anyway, um, this is from. John, not going to say his last name because I don't know if I can. Uh, hey, Jay and Jed, it's... <laughs> I wanted to say it in Australian accent. I'm not going to. It's John here from Brisbane, Australia. Uh, I think I've listened to most of your podcasts, and I don't think you've really covered this, but I would like to hear in detail how you both made your final breakthrough to get and stay sober. I know it's ongoing day by day, but you both talk about how many rehabs you've been through. Why you got to bring up old shit, John? But what finally happened to bring the last breakthrough? Love you guys. Great podcast. Good question, John. That's that's a good point. I guess we haven't. Like I I tell my story so many times, I forget that people don't really know it. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, well, and two, I think that we did that at one point, but decided not to air it yet. Yeah, we recorded so, like five episodes that we just completely scrapped before we launched this. I think that was one of them. I think so too. So. Why don't you do us the honors, Jed, and kick it off with the last... Uh, uh, yeah, the last... It wasn't a... I'll try to condense it as best I can. It wasn't a specific instance, per se, but just kind of a culmination of 12 years of, of shooting dope. And so my girlfriend had already gone to rehab. Um, I was on a waiting list to go to rehab. We were homeless. Um absolutely no one there's nobody i could call that would even let me stay at their house um i was flying a, like flying a homeless sign by the interstate to get money um stealing blue waves from walmart to pawn them for dope money and that was just my life and i was still on probation so i was like well i need to go to back to treatment and i went back to treatment and was like 60 days sober and everything was going good. And then um, I got dumped by my girlfriend in treatment. And that was like my breaking point where, because every time like I'd gotten sober, I'd still have some other thing I could make my higher power, right? And uh, so I lost that and I lost everything. And I broke, I punched a wall and broke my hand and I was like, well, I guess I'll just go get some pain pills. And then God gave me that like moment of clarity where I was like, oh, holy shit. Like after all this, I'm still willing to just go get high and throw it all away. And that really, really, really scared me. And I was like, well, let's just try to get sober. And that was just the moment that, uh, clicked it for me. Yeah. And then happily ever after. So far. Mostly. (laughs) Mostly. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so and for then, me... Yeah, then a lot ahead. of work. Just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then the work, and then we get to start the work, absolutely. Um, and it is that, you're right, John, it's a, that day-by-day, day, um, picking up the phone when I don't want to, 
you know, go into meetings when I don't want to, um, all that stuff. A lot of times I do want to, but it's, it's working through those things that, um, you know, the times that I don't want to, that, that I've been able to stay sober for a long period of time. So for me, um, I was, uh, I went to my first treatment at 18. I've gotten a lot of trouble with the law, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward. Um, I didn't stay sober after that. And, uh, and, and like Jed, I, nobody wanted me around at this point, right? Like I couldn't drink or do dope any, any semblance of, with any semblance of responsibility. Um, I screwed over everybody. Um, I was really just kind of a shell of a human being. And, um, I got, I got fired from a bartending job for drinking too much, which, <laughs> which is hard to do. <laughs> which is incredibly hard to do. And, uh, and I remember I was, so I was pretty much at that point unemployable. Like I, they let me wipe down tables at this deli and, and, um, and deliver food for like a handful of lunch shifts every week. Like that's what my, you know, and, uh, I remember I went to the a Clemson Carolina game and I got so hammered that the people that I went with left me there and went back to Charleston. <laughs> and so, uh, I was like such a raging ass that they left me there. And I finally um, was able to get back to Charleston and I decided like firm resolution, like I'm really, really never going to drink again. Um, or at least I'm not going to drink for an extended period of time and figure my life out. Right. And what, five, 10 days later I was hammered. Yeah. Um, and, and so fast forward just a few weeks and, um, I wake up from a four day long blackout. So let me preface that by this time I'm, I'm drinking a lot of, uh, hard liquor and eating a lot of benzodiazepine Xanax, uh, mostly. And so, um, I blacked out a lot often for long periods of time. <clears throat> so I woke up from a four day long blackout. Um, with a big gash on my back and a broken mirror in my room and like my whole apartment is thrashed and I was just broken. You know, I, I didn't have anyone and I didn't have God in my, any sort of semblance of God in my life. Um, I was lonely and beaten and broken and empty. Um, and I woke up and I didn't know where I'd been or what I had done for the last four days. And I, so I decided I was going to just go somewhere. I didn't know where, but I was going to run away. And so I went out into the uh, parking lot of my apartment complex, and my car was gone. So I, you know, I was That's forced. That's so classic. I was forced I'm to sit in I'm out of here. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was forced to sit in that moment. And, and like Jed, I had that moment of clarity of um, I can't keep living this way. Like, I just can't keep going like this. And um, I sat on my hands for three days and then finally went over to my folks' house um, because I couldn't afford to feed myself, right? And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm thinking about going back to, Al- back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And within, like, 45 seconds, I had a meeting schedule in my hand that my parents printed off the Internet for me. And, you know, that was the beginning and uh right you know and then fuck tons of hard work yeah it's for most alcoholics like of our type it's not like i can keep stacking up consequences 
for, you know, forever. That's never really what does it. It's, it really was like a divine thing of just like I was allowed to have this moment. Uh, it's, so cliche but it was that surrender it's just like all right well there's just absolutely nothing i can do like i can't do this as much as i want to the gift of desperation right for me it had to be this like orchestra orchestration of everything um externally fucking up but then also like this soup this incomprehensible demoralization from all of the things that i had done so it was it was i really feel like god orchestrated my bottom for me because, like, yeah. me waking up from a four-day-long blackout was nothing new. No. Me being barely employable was nothing new. Um, people not wanting anything to do with me was nothing new. Um, but but the way that I felt inside, uh, that emptiness combined with everything at the very perfect moment was um, was what brought me to my knees. Uh, and, again, if my car had been there, That's what I'm I think saying. I would, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if my car had been there, I would have left. To somewhere and I, and I, God only knows what would have happened. Yeah, my at my treatment center, my car was there, and they'd just given me my driver's license back, and I'd broken my hand, and I had like six grams of phenobut still in my car, and like when, when I had that moment of clarity, and they had I found a needle in my art supplies that I had brought in, so like oh, yeah yeah, yeah. so like when I had that moment of clarity, I went to my counselor, I was like, yo, I got this needle, and there's like a shit ton of drugs in my car. And like, take my license back. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, please save my yeah, please save my life." Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I was like, "I don't think I need that anymore." And he was like, "Wow, yeah, I think this was a big, I, big moment, Jed." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." I w- I went to make sure because I went to the same bar every night, and that's where my car ended up being was at that bar. And uh, and I walked in and I to make sure that I didn't have like a big bar tab or anything. Um, and I told my my bartender to never serve me again that i have a problem with drinking and i can't stop so please please like i begged him to not serve me booze anymore Oof. and then i never saw him again yeah i would do that to my dope dealers and, and then of course they would they'd be like okay man, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no problem and then i'd be like i was just fucking around with you man give it to me like seriously please now yeah now be like, I, yeah I, okay <laughs> and they'd usually just make fun of me oh i thought you weren't yeah. doing it anymore here you go yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe, we'll, anyway. maybe we'll go back and redo an episode, or a, I'm sure we will eventually, because we'll probably run out of stuff to talk about. We'll just uh, tell our stories. Like, a, yeah, I think a more in-depth yeah. would be good. So. Um, Some more shout-outs we got. Um, some people on Twitter. We got Keenan Kofke, which is still my, my favorite name to say. He has a sweet lightsaber in his profile pic oh really i've got a sweet lightsaber up hanging above my desk right here mm-hmm. um nathan who is into conspiracies and jay is not so we might get him on to uh talk about bigfoot yeah That's my boy and then Nate, josiah sutton and james warsham thanks fellas thanks um yeah. okay but real talk we're super excited about this interview we got dan coke from Depolarized and Sherwood, and y'all have heard him on Password No Answers and Bad Christian, and it's going to be good. It's a super good interview. So yep. let's get to that. Woo-hoo.
We are here with the fabulous Dan Coke. Thank you, Jed. Seriously. Thanks yeah. for coming on, brother, man. No problem. Happy to be here. Thank you for bringing uh, yet another level of legitimacy to our humble little program here. We much appreciate Happy. it. Happy to um, do it if I am doing that. Dan is from the band Sherwood and also the host of the Depolarize podcast um, and soon to be Reconstruction. Is that right? Reconstruct. Reconstruct. coming soon. Yeah, co-host of that. Awesome. Who's your other host? His name is John Rains. He's a master's student at Fuller Seminary in Seattle. Oh, nice. And, oh, awesome. Uh, he also played in a band with me called Pacific Gold for a while. Oh, nice. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. So more people smarter than Jed and I. Got it. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so what do we want to start with, Jay? So I think you had a question about uh, one of the Dan's podcast. I did. Um, so Dan had a podcast recently on the subject of creationism versus intelligent design versus common ancestry um in regards to like the bible and science um and so my question to dan was where did he land on the fence and he said um common ancestry correct yeah you actually asked about the guest but he and oh. i agree yeah we, right. i i believe humans have common ancestors with apes and other lizards and whoever before then unicellular creatures all the way back down. Right. Yep. And so my follow up to that was so what do you what what does that do to your theology and how do you how does that reconcile with your theology? Right, like well, how does it fit in with the Adam and Eve narrative or story? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of reasons to believe that Adam and Eve either are not historical beings or that if they are, they were chosen by God as like representatives at some point. Um, because I just think there's way too much evidence against them. Uh, we talked a little bit on this, on the show about this, but you know, there's a lot of very good genetic evidence that current human beings, um, descend from no fewer than 10,000 people at its tightest bottleneck. So we are not the descendants of two people. Um, I think that there's problems in the text as well in Genesis of interpreting them literally because Cain goes to live with other people and finds a wife, yeah. which it does not say right. is his sister. And so I, I, and then there textually as well, like, you know, we have in the last hundred fifty years, we have unearthed these Babylonian myths and tales and stuff. And so much of Genesis just looks like, those Babylonian tales, which is not to say that they're not inspired and telling true things about God and people, but it is to say that probably a lot of the literary form was borrowed from literary form of the day when those stories were written. It's like having yeah. a podcast today. Podcasts are a thing that people make in the early 20th century. And I didn't invent the podcast. You didn't invent the podcast, you know, or maybe even better would be like, if you did a This American Lifestyle podcast with three intersecting stories, all of which share a topic, like that's like a that's like a podcast right. trope that we might right. utilize or not utilize. We didn't invent it, 
other people did it, but that doesn't mean that the story that we tell with our three part thing is not uniquely true or whatever. Do you, do you give like any credence to like an anti-deluvian prehistory that was like almost like completely erased and then restarted? You know what I'm saying? So like, so by the flood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've heard that. I think the, there are really big problems with it. Um, the biggest problems are like, there's just like so much evidence that the universe and the earth are billions of years old. And so, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the earth age, but humanity is only like, what, like 600,000. Well, it depends on who you count. So like homo sapien, I think is like 75,000, hundred thousand Neanderthals are like, maybe I might be getting these numbers wrong, but you know, 300,000 or something. And, Neanderthals are different than human Homo sapiens, but we were able to mate with them. Uh, right, could reproduce, but they basically branched off and did their own thing, and were different than humans. At what point did like the soul enter in? I guess that's that's where I have trouble with. Like, did it like the consciousness and soul evolve? Like, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that, um, but. I would sort of well, – let, let me ask you a clarifying question. Yeah. Why is it important that you can delineate between a homo sapien with a soul and a homo sapien without a soul? That's funny. I was going to ask you a, a similar thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, I'll answer that. My, my rebuttal question was uh, why is it easier to believe in the homo sapien thing as opposed to something being created? Why, why is that a stretch? And is there a desire to believe one or the other? Uh but to answer yours, um, I don't know. I just see what, to to my eyes and my mind, creation just makes more sense. Everything seems order, ordered. And hmm. humans seem really shittily adapted to the world around us. You know, if we evolved, like if you dropped most of us into the center of the jungle, we would just die. You know, that could just be... But not if you dropped our forebears into the jungle, which they they knew what the jungle was. I mean, there's still, yeah. there's still tribes that live in the middle of the jungle. True, true, true. Homo and, sapiens. Well, I'm, I'm, the reason I'm, that I couldn't survive in the jungle has nothing to do with evolution. Right, 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 right. I've <laughs> on my ass my whole life playing video games and playing guitar. I mean, that's not... That, it well, doesn't if mean you... that I don't have the physical ability to survive in the jungle if I were in a tribe that was surviving in the jungle. I probably True. wouldn't be the best hunter and the fastest runner, but I could maybe make it work. You know, I, I buy in big also to the, I can't remember the official name of the theory or whatever, but that man started ultimately intelligent and we've just been getting dumber since. You believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Partially. <laughs> I well, I, I, well, I believe like IQ wise or like, how would you measure the, well, basically, that I've just never, I've never bought into that there was this idiot, rock beating man at some point. I, I guess I just really buy into the creation idea, or that we've had the same base level intelligence the whole time, and I believe in like the super advancement of ancient, like the prehistory civilizations. Like, um, yeah, what was like. The, the, well, the pyramids the are like no one really knows how they. Yeah, the, the Sphinx could be yeah. thirty-four thousand years old, and they just found that um, the sixteen-thousand-year-old civilization in Turkey 
So yeah. they're, and they're constantly uh, and I just I don't want to come from no monkey man. You know what I'm saying? I just yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, know. look, this is this is <laughs> well, the way what? to think about it. Look, here, here's I think the best way to think about it. We have a world, okay? It exists. We can see it with our eyes. We can feel it. We can smell it. We can go on top of a mountain and like look really far and be in awe. We can look at satellite photos of the Earth. Let's leave the galaxies and the rest of the universe to the side for now. Let's just talk about yeah. what is here on Earth. We see it. All I'm saying is I'm making a distinction about how God created it. So Fair the enough. mechanism yeah. by which the God who exists and who mm. loves me created the universe. So the question is, is it better for you to be, let's say you had a video camera and you're looking at a field. Imagine it's Jurassic Park, okay, the film. You're looking at a field and then all of a sudden you, you blink and there are six velociraptors there. Okay. Okay. They just appear. That, God does, that does happen. created them. Okay. He just like <laughs> made them in an instant. Okay. What? So that's one option. The other option is they, over millions and millions of years, evolved slowly from smaller reptiles. And then some of them went this way and became T-Rexes. Some of them went this way, whatever. Is there a difference in God's glory between those two options? Maybe not. It, didn't most animals start from one? Like all wolves and coyotes and all that came from a single animal. Isn't that? I think the idea is like uh, basically the way that the tree and I'm not a biologist. Yeah, so me neither. We're, we're very amateur, amateur here, people. So save your emails, you know. Well, the reason they call it a tree of life is because so you flip a tree upside down, basically, and, yeah. and you use it as a diagram. At some point, there's a species, right? So, uh, for instance, prior to Neanderthals and Homo sapiens splitting, there was like Homo sibilis or whatever, some other two-legged sort of a, a Homo, whatever, different kind of a species as opposed to Homo sapien and Neanderthal. So some of those people, maybe just one, like a mom has a genetic mutation that yep. – is helpful and other homo sibilis don't have it, but it's heritable. So that mom has kids. And let's say within this tribe of homo sibilis, so these 10,000 or these 1,000, these 500, uh, over 10 generations of that tribe, the people who come from grandma have this new trait. Let's say it, it helps them run faster or um, it's cranial size and they're smarter. Over 10, 20 generations in that little tribe, those people are going to end up out-competing the other people for sex and food and resources. They're going to be the most helpful. They're going to become chief. Mm -hmm. They're going to have concubines. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this stuff works. But Does that how, whatever seem... it is, oh, yeah. Go ahead. They, they will pass their genes down, okay? And then those genes will end up winning. Now, there was another village of Homo sibilis that no one had that. No one had that mutation. Eventually, the first group, they become Neanderthal. They have a wider brow. They actually have reduced cranial capacity compared to Homo sapiens, whatever the thing is. They then get their own stuff, and this takes a really, really long time through random genetic mutation. And that's where they branch off, and that's why it's a tree. So they're tree branches. So everything starts with unicellular organisms at the very beginning, like Does that one cell life. Right. Do 
to me that sounds like though in god's original plan was a very was eons of very violent barbaric sloppy work you know what i mean like if that was the original design well the problem god have set that into motion he could have but my question would be why that seems those eons to god Right, I mean, yeah, that's not could eons. be. Yeah, could have it's been. Not, not sloppy work. It's setting up a foundation for for a really complex, in my in my opinion, very beautiful world. Right, the the more complex I see the the Earth, the planet, the galaxy, all of this stuff, to me makes it more glorious that God set this all in motion instead of just saying like snap. This is you know. Yeah, well, I guess I'm gonna make a whatever, I guess they're fig e- tree. Yeah, I guess they are equal. I guess I'll flip it on its side and say, what would it do to your theology if God created like that? Anything? Well, that's what I believed for, you know, 26 years, 28 years. So uh, I'm just saying it really didn't change anything for me in terms of like, like, um, okay, God A can create this universe and chooses to do it slowly God B can create this universe and every new species is a miracle. Which one? I mean, they both can yeah. create this universe. I don't really see how you could possibly rank them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's got to just be our own, you know, our own categories <laughs> that we get used to. I mean, how can you possibly know one of those is a better God than the other God? It, no, we're just couldn't. talking about physical mechanism. That's all we're talking about. Well, the- so. Yeah. Right. The, Go ahead. the soul question becomes an interesting one then. So I guess just off the cuff, yeah. like, have you pondered that? What would do you think? Totally. I mean, I think that there is some version of a soul that becomes problematic. Um, for instance, like original sin in the Augustine sense of like it's passed down sexually. From, uh, from the from the man's semen to the child, yeah, that probably doesn't work. Um, but that's also not the only way of thinking about original sin, not by far. And a lot of people even think that Augustine was working off of a mistranslation when he of Paul when he made that when he came up with that theory. So, like, there are some things that don't work anymore in terms of a soul. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, some of these things are questions you can't really answer. Like, yeah, I mean, if, if animals can make some kinds of decisions, do they have like a really small soul compared to a, a human soul? I mean, I think that soul might be can a way put of... It in, I think, think you can put it in fractions as yeah, like fractions, they have a two-tenths yeah, of a soul. Yeah. So yeah. I think that it's like whatever, however this stuff works, what we're really trying to say is we have a creator God. This God loves us and wants a relationship with us. And we know for mm-hmm. reasons X, Y, and Z. And so when we say soul, we mean a human abilities, a human being's ability to reason, to have that relationship with God, with its creator. I have such a relationship. I experience it. Right. Uh, that is my soul, I guess. I don't really know yeah, no one what does. my soul consists of. But what's important is that I have this relational thing. Maybe chimps and dogs and dolphins also have some kind of relationship with well, the creator. I don't know. They it's were obviously than... they were made before us, either you know, according right. to tradition. So I, I definitely think, and there's so much animal imagery in uh, 
in scripture. I definitely think they're, I think God likes what he did there, I would say. Yeah. And so I love, and I, I don't think we can really comment on like what kinds of creatures a creator is able to have a relationship with. Like, I think that's pretty far out of our ability as humans. We know that our relationship with God is different than like a dog's would be, but we don't know that they don't have one. I mean, we don't really know. It, it's definitely not the same kind of like moral choices and stuff. But I think that, um, right. yeah, so, so some of those theological options are not available to me. But for the most part, mo- most of it is still on the table. So what's your relationship with – because I, I listened to you on Pastor With No Answers. So it was a while ago now. And you um, yeah. were talking about like certainty ends at I, I think, therefore I am. And talking about uh, – was it Descartes, Descartes' demon? Yeah, D- Descartes says, like, uh, there could be a demon no behind our shoulder. Yeah, that everything you're seeing is the opposite of what it really is, and there's an evil demon at all times flipping everything to the opposite. You, It's the kind of thing you could never prove is not true. Exactly. So, But you, of course, don't have right, any Like simulation. Theory. Yeah, you can't... How does it yeah. live out, though? You have to make a choice. And um, So what's your thoughts on because I, I wanted to ask this that you're very political and i remember you saying you had intense anxiety um about trump and i seem to have less you can ask jay i live very like a toe on the earth and like most of my head and like this crazy ethereal yeah. spiritual realm so like what wh- how much stock what's your thoughts on the hereafter and the spirit world spirituality that sort of thing oh yeah well i should clarify i mean i've become political because i've become really interested in politics since trump became a candidate that's just kind of made politics really interesting to me and i started the depolarized Mm -hmm. podcast because i noticed uh that i i felt like i was sort of uniquely able to get people to speak civilly with each other and not yell, and that seemed to be sorely lacking. Uh, anybody can just go to Facebook for the proof of that. Yeah. And But when I think about politics, I also am abstract. I mean, that doesn't change anything about my brain. Like, my wife and I argue about this all the time, and it's something that we're working on because she's very in the world. She loves to, like, look at what's around her. She appreciates physical beauty so much, design or nature. Um, and I'm just like... Oh, that's cool, but like I'm trying to figure out like what the best healthcare solution would be right now. Or <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think about like it what how it would change my theology if I found out that aliens existed. That's like what you, I'm you I'm have you have the mind of a of a psychedelic uh, user. That's why like I don't know if you have or not, but no, you, you I don't think, think so. No, I, no, I, it's I, good. No, I'm saying that's I'd count that as a good thing. I mean you're very outside just, the box. Yeah. Well I appreciate that. I, I mean I just studied philosophy in college and and I, I'd like to get a master's in theology, and I just I like the abstract world. So I feel like I'm probably a lot closer to you than you think. And yes. um, in fact, my favorite conversations when it comes to depolarizing are not about like individual policy changes or something. My favorite conversation is like, why do I have confirmation bias? Why do I demonize yeah. me? These more abstract, like let's get into what's going on in someone's brain. That's more interesting to me than, like, I wouldn't be a very good politician. I just right. am interested in, like, trying to get people to talk to each other. 
without yelling. And uh, I, I think there are implications there for theology as well in, in terms of, you know, like we could talk about confirmation bias for a second. It's, it's yeah, fascinating. Sure. Confirmation bias is this Absolutely. observable fact about human brains. Like we skip over evidence that we don't like or that doesn't accord with something we already believe. And we focus on evidence that accords with something we already believe. Um, That's for instance, I don't, I don't click a lot of critical article articles that are critical of Obama because I like Obama. So I skip those articles and someone, a friend of mine who doesn't like Obama knows way more of the things Obama did wrong than I know because I choose not to read those articles. Right. That's, uh, yeah. well, and that's and so, I, I'd, ma I'd made the comment that f facts quote unquote have become have lost a lot of their in this age of information the fact has become almost meaningless like the perfect example i have is jay i can tell you it is a fact that there is no evidence of sugar causing hyperactivity in children to which you would say bullshit <laughs> right i witness it every day yeah, yes yeah but that is a fact yeah. and it's just so but um well it I mean, it makes sense to me because you're, you know, you're, you're shaking people's core beliefs and it, it's just like, I, I step back and that's why politics frustrates me. It's why Facebook f frustrates me. People in general can, cause I'll step back and I just see everyone super seemingly distracted and bickering. There's like, like, what are y'all really doing? What, what's your, what is your goal here? What's everyone really trying to accomplish? say you finally catch that car you've been chasing then what are you gonna do and it's just it's so i just choose to check out is what i was telling jay I'll, I'll just watch from a distance and then every now and then i'll get hot enough to just poke my head in and scream but yeah well i think it's um it's hard for me to find the right balance for instance of like how much time do i spend reading politics news and uh how much time do i spend on the podcast without giving myself a panic attack or, or sort of raising my levels of anxiety and depression because it's a really dark time. Um, even if you are a Republican, it's, it's still a dark time. I mean, you, you've got, it's still a time of great tension and volatility and polarization, regardless of what side you're on. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a moment where there's not a lot of civility on either side. And that's, that's sad. I mean, um, it, it's really, it's really tough, but, but back to confirmation bias for a second. Right. So Jonathan Jonathan Haidt, who's a social and cognitive psychologist, he wrote a great book called The Righteous Mind. And he uses this distinction, uh, must I believe it, can I believe it? So if we want to believe something, we will ask ourselves sort of subconsciously, can I believe it? So someone says to me, did you know that the, that Russia has footage of Donald Trump doing really gross things in a hotel room? That's what I heard. I want to believe that. <laughs> okay. Because it accords oh, so with my view of Trump. But that that does not mean it's true, right? So uh, I might be able to say, oh, I, you know what? Donald Trump is a sexual pervert. Now, I actually don't have any evidence that he is. I have evidence that he speaks <laughs> very loosely about women. He, he's not a great respecter of women, but I don't have any evidence that he's a sexual pervert. But I, all I need is that one article that says it's been alleged, and then I add that to my list of things I believe about Donald Trump. If I don't want to believe something, I will ask myself, must I believe it? 
So, and for the instance, answer is usually no. Yeah, uh, then the answer is no. Now, so I'll look for one piece of evidence that disconfirms. So this is true of like people who are into flat Earth theory, which we do not get to. We totally can't. Here's a better example: Holocaust denial. Right? Yeah, that's a good one. They say here is some problem with the excavation of Auschwitz, and then they say, "Look, you if you can explain to me that." Auschwitz, why Auschwitz didn't have the right kind of gas release, you know, ventilation, then I'll agree that the Holocaust happened. So that's a great example of must I believe it. So they find this one little problem or whatever that and goes against, you know, hundreds of hours of footage and, you know, a million eyewitness accounts or whatever. So right. we do this, though. We do this. This can I believe it? Must I believe it? thing. And what hate says is so fascinating. And what I think plays directly into this election cycle and the whole fake news thing is that it was harder to find that piece of evidence 40 years ago if you didn't yeah. want to or to believe something. Yeah. Now uh, you have a phone that if you Google Kim Kardashian spy, you'll find someone claiming with some piece of evidence that yeah. Kardashian is a spy. <laughs> you, you can easily find whatever you want to find. That's what I'm saying, okay. yeah. So and what, so it's worse now. Yeah, and that just kind of objective truth becomes very subjective. and So what we need and what we don't have right now is agreement on what sources count as reliable. That's what we do. Do you think have. that's even possible? Do you think we're, we've, we've started a – we've opened Pandora's box on this one and, and getting all everything back in is going to be extremely tough? That's my worry, although my hope is that there's a pendulum swing on this, too, and people just yeah. people get burned enough by mm -hmm. false stories that they just start to go, uh, maybe they coalesce around a few, like a few sources that, okay, the right has Fox and the left has, you know, whatever. Yeah. That would be my, right. that would be a lot better, because at least those, you know, the way Fox or CNN or whatever New York times would report a story is like within reason, you know, they're like, they're agreeing on the same elemental facts of the case at least. Well, and, and I, then they're couching it the way they see it. Right. And, and I would, I guess actually probably the future, which it already has kind of become is message boards like Reddit and Twitter where it's like uploading pr pretty, yeah. yeah, pretty cross examined and like the bullshit usually does not stay long. Yeah. Yeah, and I so I think that's that, that's my hope. I mean, in fact, you could get a little theoretical here with the speed of information these days. The way that peer review works in science, mm -hmm. pe peer review, not peer review. Um, <laughs> it's a little like, a little dark. It's a little dark. You need to drink some yeah, water. Yeah. Somebody will you know write a paper or they do an experiment. They write their conclusions, right? Then other people try and independently come to the same conclusions by replicating the experiment in their own lab. Uh, you, you try to sort of like get people's biases out of it. Then other people will read the work who are familiar with all the work surrounding that work. And you get this kind of like slow movement in science toward, you know, greater foundational knowledge that we can feel pretty good about because it's all been sort of really well vetted. It might be that we get like in real time, like much more quickly, a thing like that with internet news of like yeah, sort of true. peer review vetting that 
yeah, maybe someone needs to invent uh, a mechanism for that or like a piece of software or a website or something. But you could imagine something like peer review occurring uh, as information becomes so easy to, to transmit. Maybe you, maybe there are like companies that pop up that have like, here's our, here are our five health experts. Here are our five politics experts. Here's whatever. And like they, people just come to trust them. And yeah. there are some checks and balances. I, I don't know. I'm just so, kind of. Do y'all, so, and I would say you and Jay have like a high view of humanity and high hopes. Is that safe to say? Uh, I don't I know. Think so. I, have, I think I have a Christian view, which is that we're fundamentally sinful. But yes, that we, <laughs> I, yeah. I really, I think Christianity really does present uh, a complex view of people. I think we are both sinful and we are capable of, um, you know, co-creation we're, with God. We're capable of, of love as well. Otherwise, why ask us to love? We can't do it. Yeah, we're made in the, we're made in the image of God. Right. So we right. have we have to have some good or at least be able to awaken some good qualities in ourselves or each well, other. Or whatever and, the case. and that was what's always what's confused me lately is these are these are the questions I ask myself on a daily basis. Take away society. Take away everything. What exactly did God expect us to do all day? What were we supposed to do? What's our purpose here? Um, <laughs> simple, simple question. Yeah, simple question. Well, it's it's just and um, <laughs> the scripture seems to go back and forth between you need to make this world the best you can, yet it's gonna be destroyed. So don't worry about the troubles that happen, but worry about the stuff that happens. But you're gonna go to heaven, and it's like I don't agree that the Bible says that the world will be destroyed. Um, I don't elaborate think that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hold to N.T. Wright's view on this, that it, That it already happened? Uh, no, that that um, sort of like the new have, New Jerusalem coming down. Like, he argues yeah, that that's what, yeah. it's, it's basically a renewing of this Earth and this cosmos rather than a whole separate yes. cosmos. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's the only part. This I'm way of this. life destroyed, rather. This. Or do yeah, you, do like you... there will be something else. Yes, yes. Yeah. What's what's the question though? Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Um, I think that that segues actually want, really well into a question okay. that we were talking about um, before we started. Jed and I were talking about before we started taping that we have kind of uh, different views on, and that is: um, should should do Christians have a moral obligation to get involved politically or or with social action groups? Um, for instance, human rights, or uh, I know Christians are really big in, into um, sex slavery and stopping that, and obviously that's morally um, wrong. So, so do we have an obligation to get involved politically to try to move forward morally right or morally sound objectives? That is one of the questions. I love that question. Um, I so one of the most helpful things for me in the past couple years um, at our Presbyterian church, we had a class that my buddy drew taught on ethics, sort of Christian ethics hmm. and money. That's and awesome. uh, yeah, it was kind of like a survey and he, he had a book that he was kind of teaching through and you know, it's like a lot of church history and sort of history of Christian thought on ethics and hmm. money. 
And my favorite thing I read is this basic summation of what's called Catholic social teaching. So it's basically the official social morality teaching of the Catholic Church that kind of started around like 1920 in response to uh, communism and the Industrial Revolution. This is like Pope Leo something, the 19th or the 9th or I don't know, some Pope Leo. And it's really simple at its crux. It is the more resources you have, the greater your responsibility is to those with fewer resources. So no percentage is Agree. given. Um, but I like to think of that okay. in terms of the more you have, the greater percentage of your resources should go. Not just like a flat tax tithe. Right. If you mm -hmm. aren't making any money and you aren't able to and you're pregnant single mom with, with you know two kids or whatever, like, well, if you were a pregnant single mom, you're in some real water there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> if you're but the mom, church should be giving to those folks right yeah the I mean, community should be pouring out to those folks instead of them giving giving to the church yeah i mean that's obviously what the bible calls christians to do i mean you, you can't make a case that the church is not supposed to help the poor there's just no 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 absolutely case. not so but that's different than political involvement so sorry this is a roundabout answer but i i love that the the more resources okay. i have the more i should be giving to those who have less and for me, for instance, I felt like one of the resources I have is like, I have this technical knowledge, I have this ability to sort of think on my toes and interview people, and I have this interest in these questions, so I can give some of this back. Um, yeah. And if it starts making money, then I have to give something else, because then I'm not giving it anymore, I'm being paid for it, um, it doesn't make money uh... right now. But, uh, but you know, it, it should cost me something. It should cost me time or energy or whatever. Why did you have to um, say that about the paid sure. man? You just totally just shattered my world. Oh, that it. <laughs> no, no, no. Once, like, yeah. If it started, if if we're gonna cancel our Patreon. Job, no, but if the podcast was my job, then I would have to give something else yeah, away. Like, I, see, I, would, I see what you're saying. I would sacrifice something else. Yeah, um, and. So politics, you know, na let's distinguish between national politics and local politics. National politics is hard. I don't think everybody is called to that. Um, I think you should vote. I think that if you feel strongly, you should get involved because it's, it's fascinating. Uh, but I don't know that it's like a Christian's moral obligation to be really involved in national politics. I'm, Greg Boyd has some interesting thoughts on this. Uh, he thinks it, it's totally not at all a Christian's job. In fact, it's a distraction from their job. I recently interviewed him for Depolarized. It's coming out in a couple weeks, and and I I half agree with him, half disagree. Um, local politics is different. I mean, everything you do in your community is politics locally. Uh, you're the fabric of the people who trust or know you or don't trust because they know you or whatever, where your kids go to school <laughs> – you know, your church community. I mean, that that stuff is local politics. It's um, it's it's sort of making your – it's community making, right? right. So right. I don't – but I don't think that like – if what you're getting at is like, is there some like minimum political engagement required of a Christian? I think probably not. No. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm neither registered to vote nor do I plan on registering to vote. I'm more on the – I guess what Greg Boyd would be at. 
I'm realizing you should it, read this book, and with your confirmation bias, you'll love it. <clears throat> well, I, well, and if I'm going to be completely honest, um, I'm I'm one of those people. If uh, if I go like when I was little, I tried to go play basketball. I wasn't good at basketball, so therefore, I didn't try to play basketball anymore. Like I tried to play guitar, wasn't good at that. I played the drums, I was good at it, so I stuck with that. So it's like if I'm not interested in something, if I'm not going to learn about it, then like if I'm not all in, then I'm not in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like you should work on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a character <laughs> flaw, but I can recognize that. So it's partial. I have no interest. It's so, partial. So my thing is, I think with all the things going on, there are some things being brought to light about social injustices, about a handful of certain topics that, that I personally and my family, my wife especially, feels really strongly about. And it's hard for me to think – um, that sitting by and, and watching these ha things happen, whether that's on a local stage or a national stage, is the right moral Christian thing to do. And so I don't know if God just moves some people to, to act on those, not others, or, or what the deal is. But, um, but it's hard for me to reconcile inaction with, with God's will for my life and, and that directive to help others. Yeah, and I think that's um, well said. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I'm trying to do is look out for what, if anything, the Trump administration does that is sort of like an obvious thing to stand up against. Um, thus far, I don't, I mean, I maybe haven't been reading. I don't know enough about what's going on with immigrants. It doesn't seem to be code red yet. Uh, I, I'm glad that the courts are fighting the travel ban. Um, there's not a lot I can do about that. I will be marching on tax day for the tax day march. I, I think Trump needs to reveal his taxes. I think that it's a national security issue. And that's the kind of thing I'm willing to say, mm -hmm. no, this, like, we need to know if our president has people who have money over him. Like, that's just, this yeah, is a new problem. That's important, you know, for me. And right. uh, so I, I think that, you know, and and I don't know what's going to happen if, if there if there is a big immigration crackdown in the state of Washington, then I will be reaching out and to people I know and asking what we can do to help. Um, currently, there isn't one. So but yeah, I mean, I think being willing to be ready, like I don't if the United States government wants to deport um, undocumented immigrants who have citizen children. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that it's, it seems clear to me that whatever benefit that might give to the local economy or something to have a job not taken, uh, is not out, is not, does not outweigh splitting a family up with a American citizen child. Uh, I, I just, I would think that would be morally wrong. So I would resist that if I could, if there was some way I could resist sure. it, but I'm not like going to flood the streets over Betsy DeVos as education secretary, for instance, which. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to I'm trying to set the bar right. yeah. medi medium high, and then I need to be very willing to act beyond that bar. That's kind of how I'm thinking about sure. it. Sure. And I I, f I feel like and yeah, agree with with most of that. I, I think I just realized probably some of my problem lies also in especially in the age of social media. People will. It's very easy to jump on a bandwagon for a cause that I'm. I, it may be cynicism, but I just. I think the vast majority of people really don't either know enough to care or truly care and use that as, as an excuse to say, 
look, I'm doing something for change while ignoring the homeless people in their town, being a dick at the grocery store, any handful of things, and they're just using this publicly, socially accepted form of contributing when, and socially rewarded. Yes, exactly. And and like yeah. then you get to be um you get that sweet righteous anger if somebody oh, yeah. crosses you. And so I feel like <laughs> it's become a giant like wicker man that I don't know. It I guess that's Well, that's, it, what, that's a drug. I mean to to oh, yeah, on for your sure. podcast. Hey, yeah, that's why we're here. That you know, that is a drug and uh that is addicting to to feel um, like your group accepts you and you have stood up for the good fight, uh, even if it costs you nothing, even if you enjoyed being angry about the article and you enjoyed writing your little thing and you enjoyed fighting with the people, your, your weird uncle, and you enjoy the whole thing, you still can tell yourself you gave something up, you spoke up for justice. Well, maybe. I mean, you might have done something. But that's Greg Boyd's, one of his biggest arguments is that uh, we can never let political engagement be an excuse to not engage in the real world with the people that God wants us to engage with. I like that. Guy. And that so I love, I really love you pushing back against sort of like armchair social media, social media indignation. I mean, it's, it's worthless. And it in is. fact, I think there's a lot of evidence that it led to Trump's win and it leads to more polarization because liberals treat conservatives like yokel idiots and that doesn't help you don't convince anybody by doing that no well let's um we're we're moving on on time i kind of i've heard you say this before and i think it'd be good for our podcast um moving away from politics but why you seem like an intelligent well-read guy um with with a killer beard so why a good job so why Jesus? Why does Dan Koch believe in Jesus out of the myriad of possibilities? I've heard your answer at times, but... Oh, I don't know if it's been quite presented that way. Uh, well, there's no conflict, first of all, between being well-read and being religious. Um, Absolutely. 96% of... 99% of all human beings who have ever lived have been religious. Um so, and many of them were brilliant. I think that and I'll, the I'll, idea that smart people aren't religious is basically like 200 years old and uh, maybe 250 years old. And I think is silly. I do too. It's more of a clarifying question. For, yeah, sure. um, a lot of my listeners are a lot of my friends that we meet in AA meetings where it's the idea of a higher power and there's lots yeah. of buddhism there's lots of spirituality and me and jay are christians and so i'm always curious why people in this day and age choose and stick with jesus so that's just why it always interests me that's good that makes sense i mean i think that like buddhism has a ton to teach us i think that um i really love richard Rohr's line about uh while we were arguing about theology for two thousand years the buddhists were like learning how to be good Christians. They just were it. learning how to be compassionate. Like they were, you know, they don't have yeah. a theology. So I think that, mm. you know, interdisciplinary conversation between the faiths is great. Um, but for me, Jesus, um, you know, I, I can't completely separate myself from the fact that I was raised Christian. 
right. and that I live in a society that uses Christian imagery. But, and, and also I should say this answer will probably change for me over time and has been different in the past. But these days, why Christianity? Number one, I am convinced that human beings are infinitely valuable or near infinitely valuable, whatever. There's no difference between those two. Okay. Um, I am convinced that the God of the universe loves human beings and wants a relationship with them. The world is full of insane suffering and seemingly needless yeah. suffering. Christianity presents us with really the only view of God in which God actively suffers for the sake of loving his creatures. Um, and so I find the cross and the incarnation to be just completely unique and beautiful concepts and, and teachings uh, or happenings, whatever you want to call them. Um, they're, all, they're all those things. Yeah. And uh, so the infinite God becoming finite incarnation and the half finite, half infinite, whatever you want to say, the God man submitting himself to being killed by his own creatures for the sake of love. I, I don't know anything better than that. I don't know anything right. that I'd want to live for other than that. Um, so I am, so at this point in my life, I'm what's called a Christian inclusivist, which Ooh. means I think Christianity is true. I don't know. I'm not confident that that means the other faiths are false unless they make contradictory logical claims, right? Then of course right. they both can't be true, but I'm not, I'm not willing to say that I know that God does not deal just as lovingly with the adherence of other faiths or people before Judaism and Christianity existed of which I believe there was hundreds of thousands of years of these people living and being religious on the earth. Um, there's evidence mm. of religion and prayer going back, you know, a hundred thousand years. I think God wanted to be in relationship with those humans too. So yeah. those, those kind of things sort of the edges get blurred for me, but as the edges blur, the center gets brighter, I think is really how it's felt for me. And the center is Christ, incarnated Christ on the cross. And I, and I can tell that, and I guess I'm jealous sometimes of people like, I'll lump you in here, uh, Rob Bell, Richard Rohr, like outside-the-box thinkers that they have this fearlessness to question, confidence in God's love, and me over here, I'm, I'm pretty sure the only logical thing is that I'm still just scared of hell, most likely, because why I'm else would I be scared of hell, Well, so, it's, so is there... I mean, in your speech, it, it, it you don't seem to have much problem, or at least you don't convey much problem wrestling with these things. Or I don't have a choice, man. I've been wrestling with these things yeah, since that's I was seventeen. I mean, it's never going to stop. I've, yeah. I've made my peace with that a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I that's really sweet of you to characterize me that way. It's not totally accurate. I mean, I I have a lot of anxiety about this. I worry about being damned. Um, I worry also about, you know, all of the supernatural end times heaven stuff being false and ending. I worry about the void. Um, I, I don't, you know, that's the one that all don't. scares me. That, that's the one for some reason you can ask. Yeah, I'm just so I had a um, I've had a few near death experiences and I'm just very uber confident that there is it, it for me. It's like if Christianity is wrong. Well, yeah, I guess I do. 
if if not Christianity, then nothing. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I've kind of yeah, interesting. I, yeah, yeah. I don't think that I would go with like reincarnation wheel or something like that. I just no. mean, uh, you know, I think it's possible that like all the language about the afterlife is like poetic language to describe this life. I really hope that's not true. It would, uh, and I think that a Christian ought to hope that that's not true. Yeah, it it doesn't make yeah. too, it yeah. doesn't make too much logical sense to me that that this would be it. Um, yeah, and I and I I don't think that this is it. Um, it. But but mostly because of my confidence in God's love. I mean, man, the thing is, you you dig down these tunnels, these wells, and you 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 don't hit bottom. You could literally keep digging yeah, forever. That's, just, yeah. You have to cement the bottom at some point. You have to just yeah. say, well, what's your I cement? I'm never going to answer that. My cement is the more I try and act like Jesus, the more I take the Eucharist and consider his sacrificial love, the more I try and get in the habits that, you know, wise Christian men and women have gotten in those habits, the more life opens up for me. Mm. So well said. The proof's in the pudding, you know? Yeah. And I could be wrong. It's possible that there is something about human brains which evolved by chance that we all think there's like this being who cares about us. That's totally possible. Yeah. But if that's true, we there's no way we'll know that that's true. And I might as well live as if that's not true because my life is a hell of a lot better when I live yeah. a Christian life. A little Pascal's wager. Yeah, it's, it's like a yeah, it is, but it's but it's more like a money where your mouth is version. I mean, Pascal's yeah. I guess maybe we just interpret him wrong, but it seems like he was talking about belief, and I'm talking yeah. about choices. Well, and, and you're right when you said it, it is true. It's the more, the more I. And this has been recent for me. Uh, Jay's been sober eight years. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just coming up on three soon and so like like my life is completely different these days than for the the decade and a half that i lived just in a completely different yeah. world and um yeah the more i live this the more it just feels correct i had such a different nihilistic like i i was the type of jacked up christian that i was like i'm just gonna kill myself so i can go to heaven like i'm over this that was i asked preachers i like took a survey of preachers like do you think is that legit did i figure out some loophole can i just kill myself and just go to heaven like i'm over this so over this and then now that i'm like the more i find out about christianity the more questions i have but it's all this it's like this glorious undertaking and you're right the more i live by these principles yeah the more life seems to to blossom and open up so yeah it does my experience would tell me that yeah all everything is it's a cool thing and there there are totally these levels of like mental resistance that you can like see them coming. So <laughs> when I like, you know, there were times when I was like, so I, I found Rob Bell when he wrote Velvet Elvis. I just like found it in the bookstore. So I, I read him before he became really controversial, but there are other people that I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'm never going to agree with Dave Bazan on these things. And I can't imagine I'd ever, uh, read Karen Armstrong and agree with her on something or whatever. And I've passed a bunch of those hurdles that I thought would be points of no return beyond which like I would be a heretic. And I'm just, I don't think I'm a heretic. I guess I don't know, but I feel like I'm learning to love God 
I'm trying to, and yeah. I'm just going where the questions go. And that doesn't take me, but that doesn't mean that I know I'm going to get the right answers. I don't know. But if God's not loving toward a person who is seeking him, then I don't really know what we have that we can hang our hat on. True. Like, and I asked, you know, I asked Joey. Of course, this. perfectly. Seeking yeah. him imperfectly, of course. And I, I asked Joey the same thing. It seems to me that we're going through another sort of Christian renaissance or there's a, a new zeitgeist happening. It feels like everyone is kind of, we're sectioning off and everyone's kind of having the same ideas. And would you say that's, do you feel that happening? You know, I've heard that, like, I think Phyllis Tickle writes about that, like every 500 years, there's like a big movement in Christianity. I mean, I don't know, maybe I think the information age alone is enough to like, if I had to pinpoint what I think it is theologically, it's the information age um, is making it such that yeah. gatekeepers cannot keep regular believers from like subversive information or whatever anymore. Mm. And that that sounds like I don't necessarily mean it so conspiratorial as that. Yeah, I know what I you're saying. Like, like I read, for instance, I read when I went to Christian high school and I learned about evolution and creationism, I was taught the canopy theory, which is that before the flood, there was like a canopy of water vapor that surrounded the whole earth. Yeah. And that's what made it possible for dinosaurs to live and for because it was the higher and the higher oxygen level or whatever, whatever it is. Right. OK. The canopy theory was like rejected by everyone, Christian and non-Christian, in like the late eighties, and I was still reading it in the in the late nineties in my school. It had been it was five or ten years old, and even Christians. So that is so much harder to do today than it was even twenty years ago, because someone can just Google it immediately and go, "Oh, no one believes this anymore." Why is this in my textbook? Well, so then it could be argued that do you think the information age is a a tool of the enemy, we'll say. And, you know, like, is, you know, it seems to be that not knowledge was what got us into this trouble in the first place. And well, okay, it, I, now, I'm, I'm playing de- devil's advocate, so I'm No, and, that's good. But that's interesting. But let's not, like, think of it this way. Like, is there some metaphorical truth to knowledge did get us in into this? Uh, even if you don't need to take it as a literal conversation between eve and a serpent mm-hmm. um like there is a deep truth we want to be like god we want to know everything yeah but we're finite when do things go wrong for us when we pretend to be god yeah pride comes Absolutely. before the fall these are time tested truths yeah. these are these are like the ultimate yeah. peer view right yeah. people for millennia have been reading these and going that's true yep. that's totally true that's that's yeah. true in my life and and so yeah, that is interesting. Anyway. Yeah, um, Jay, what you what you munching on? You... Uh, I'm just soaking it all in over here. That's what dudes. I'm talking about. Um, munching yeah, on, I, thinking about is that what that means? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Race, so I, race. you know, I have <laughs> this, I have a perspective that, um, and I spend a lot of time in uh, like universalism and believing in all paths to one God and. And I and I've come back to my you faith. Mean Unitarian universalism. Unitarianism. Yep, yeah. I misspoke. Thank you. He moved so, to California. Christian universalism. Christian universalism is like Jesus saves everybody through His work on the cross. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
so I have this perspective. So I, I spent a lot of time doing that and exploring other faiths and doing all of that stuff. And, um, and I have come back to, to Christianity, um, that I grew up with and, and that even I was, I was really into when I first got sober. Um, and so for me, uh, I don't know. I, I really try not to get bogged down in details. And I know that we talked about, um, kind of deconstruction versus, and you're, you're, developing this podcast called reconstruction and, and I completely deconstructed and I'm, I'm really taking my time to reconstruct. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm not in a big rush to find all the answers. I'm not in a big rush to, to have the debates in my head of, you know, uh, what is after like look afterlife look like specifically and, um, and all of that good stuff. So I, you know, I, it's an interesting place to be. I've come to find in my life now that I'm, I'm okay with unresolved conflict and I can, I can rest in the fact that I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And like, that's all I really know about. And, and, and I'm cool with that. So it's inch. I find this all incredibly fascinating, uh, but I feel like I don't really have a dog in the fight at the same time. I think that's super healthy. I, I do too. I do too. Do you have, don't do you, put a dog in unless someone throws your dog in there. Do you have kids? Do you have kids? Do you have kids, Dan? No kids yet. No planning on it. Yes. Yeah, me too. Jay's got two. I'm wondering if that has, like, I feel like fathers are forced into more pragmatism. You know what I mean? Like, I, I still have the liberty to kind of, like, I'm still only worried about myself and my wife, whereas if I had two <laughs> other humans to raise, I might, you know, maybe the creation of the world wasn't isn't as important as these diapers right now, but I can get back to that later, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, and yeah like, I, it's also you. You know, you're never going to answer it anyway. Exactly, so like, I know. It's uh, the one of the biggest things I pray for is just like, just like. Well, and that's why I was so attracted to heroin. If I'm going to be bluntly honest, it was the only thing that turned this off. And it was, I've yeah. I've said that in all the treatment centers I've been to, most alcoholics and addicts I met are incredibly spiritually goaded people. Like they are like more so than than normal folks I've met that they're searching for something else and oftentimes that gets it's overwhelming and they're overly sensitive and you you seek to shut that out or it's just misguided like you find god in other places you know the yeah. the chemical god will work for for a second so it's that's just an interesting um yeah, if you if you ever want to have a depolarized, if you ever get to like prison reform or uh, drug policy reform, I got plenty on that. That nice. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I feel like well, we're should, we, at a, should we talk about reconstruction at all? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about reconstruction for a second. I'd love to hear kind of your ideas for the new podcast and what's what it's all about. Yeah, so it's going to be called Reconstruct, and the idea just being that um, John and I. So he's he's like a reformed guy. Um, Calvinist. He, yeah, he's like a Calvinist, uh, and I am like very much not Calvinist. I'm like kind of a semi-liberal, like pseudo-Catholic guy. Huh. Um, and uh, and yet we've been in a band together. We hang out. We have these late night talks every time we hang. We, we don't agree, but we enjoy the conversation. Some people tend to kind of crowd around us. Uh, if we're at a party as we do this and um, we just, one thing that we both agree on is 
we agree that there are many possible ways to reconstruct one's Christian faith. So if there's anything that we are most adamantly against, it is one denomination claiming to have the answers over everybody else and some exclusive um, purchase on the truth. Mm. And so we're really ecumenical. We, we try and involve people from every stripe of Christian thinking. And we try to have some intellectual and theological humility. Um, and we think it's good to disagree, but do so lovingly and, and sort of mine all these possible answers to tough questions, mostly so that at the end of the day, people are just made aware of all the options that exist for them. Yeah. We're just so, so seldom aware of that, you know? That's, um, that's why I like Preston Sprinkle. He does a good job of just laying out facts and just kind of like, you can kind of make your own decision on it. These are all, I will give you the arguments of the best people in each field. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that, a good that's way like to go the about best. It. And then let people see what uh, they gravitate towards, see what makes sense to them. And all the while acknowledging that these are all, Christian options, you know. Um, this was in my, in my opinion, the only thing that makes someone an Orthodox Christian is if they can confess the Nicene Creed. That is what Orthodox Christianity is. And beyond mm-hmm. that, beyond that, we're just talking. <laughs> we're, we're just seeing what makes sense, you know. <laughs> uh, that, and I asked um, a guy at my church this, uh, um, a retired missionary. Um, do you think that? God gives people subjective truths that like what, what you could get a truth out of scripture that is only applicable, applicable to you, but it is absolutely true for you. Do you think that? Totally. I totally think that happens. In fact, um, uh, Jesuit spirituality, which is, which is primarily, um, evidenced in the Ignatian disciplines. Mm-hmm. So St. Ignatius in like the 12th century or whatever, he wrote this sort of um, program of disciplines. You do it in like 30 days um, with, a, with a spiritual advisor. And the main Jesuit like practice that people do today that's from the Jesuits, it's called gospel contemplation. And basically you read or listen to some short story within the gospels like a number of times and you like place yourself in it you decide which character you are that day. It really depends on Interesting. That's what awesome. the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. And then yeah. you sort of like look around and what do you notice? So like one time I did it at oh, our church awesome. retreat. Right, but this is very subjective. Um, I did it at this church yeah. retreat. And uh, it was a passage of like this weird little in the middle, like after the after he calms the storm. Mm-hmm. there's this scene where they're just like chilling on the boat. They go into this town and, and they're going to keep going. But like they, the townspeople send word to another town that Jesus is there and they want to bring a bunch of people to heal, to get healed. So they have like four hours to kill in this town. And they, so I, I'm just imagining this and I'm, and I'm like, I'm watching in my mind's eye, Jesus, like at a dinner table with a bunch of people. And I'm just thinking like, He's so he's so gracious with them. He's not frenetic. He's not making the conversation about him. He's he's 
showing grace. Now, this didn't happen. I mean, it may have happened. It didn't actually happen, right? Like, that's not in the text. Oh, Brian, that's interesting. That's what I needed. Like, that's what God wanted me to get that morning is, like, be with people. Love them. Don't be frantic. And I... It's um, the living word. I guess that's in the truest sense right? of what it's supposed yeah. to be. That's super interesting. I really want to try that. That's really cool. It's yeah. Free to anybody. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> it, man. Love that. Gospel contemplation, and you'll find tons of tutorials. I'm sure. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, did you cool. see? Did you see a uh, silence about the Jesuit priest? Yeah, I did. Oh, I, I've read that book twice. Um, and I, I really love the film. I, I need to see it again. Already. Oh man. What did you, um, spoiler alert. So I'll give you two seconds. Um, did, in your opinion, was Liam Neeson still a believer? Was yeah, he, my, he just... my, yeah, my view of the, my view of the text is I, I think Endo's view, which is God really did. I mean, it's fiction, of course, but right, right. God really might, you would say, tell a, a priest in Japan that time to step on him because yeah. it's actually the more loving thing to do. Um, now, that's obviously really complicated. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't I, I think Endo is trying to say that. I guess I'm really coming to believe more and more that faith and doubt are in constant dialogue with each other mm-hmm. and that if they weren't, it would be less authentic faith. Hmm. Um, and that God will not always appear present. Every single person, if they're paying attention, will have experiences in their own life or and or they will see historical instances where it sure seems like God is not present or he's silent, he's not speaking. That's for sure. Yes. And that yeah. that paradox is at the center of human religious life. So I really love how the film didn't totally answer that question. It was super and ambiguous. Hence, we were talking about it now. And that's kind of how life is. Yep. Um, and we have to trust God despite that. If, if somebody, if someone believes in Jesus because they are certain, that by believing in Jesus, they will not go to hell and they will go to heaven. That's not really that praiseworthy. That, yeah. that fact alone. Now, if they then change their whole life and Jesus changes them and they become loving disciples, of course, that's different. But just the bare fact of like believing something because you are certain that you will not experience the worst possible thing you could ever experience. Yeah. And that it helps. <laughs> that's natural. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if somebody really believed in it, the in hell that way, nobody would ever not be a Christian. Uh, yeah, you're right. If they really could get their mind around it, it'd be like, whatever you got to do, take me to the bed. Like, yeah. just somebody <laughs> give me first communion and then shoot me right afterwards so that I can yeah, make right. sure I don't go to hell. I mean, didn't some people used to kill you know, kids before the age of accountability? Wasn't that a thing? Oh. Uh, Probably. Yeah. I don't want that to hear about that. Sounds yeah. so gnarly. No, but I mean, it, it really, like, if you take it that far, which, exactly. which just goes to show, Christianity does not teach certainty of, of that sort. No. Uh, it really doesn't. And, and it never has. And the Bible certainly doesn't preach that kind of certainty. And so you are in, you know, a, a believer will have these 
periods or their most of their life that their faith and their doubt are in conversation and I heard a great yeah. thing on um God's silence. Uh it, it might have been Philip Yancey, I can't remember where where I read it, but it was basically um the greatest compliment uh you could say about a friendship is the ability to sit right across from each other and be silent and it's almost yeah. like that it's like a, a relationship has evolved to that point mm-hmm. that it's like you got this son like i'm just gonna i don't need yeah that's but the the whole dark night of the soul thing that's that's for sure we'll have to yeah, have i mean we can think about ways that that might be true but of course you know even yancey's really good analogies is not going to fit with some people's experience exactly and it, we're just doing our best you know but i think if you zoom out like you can zoom out on the abstract or you can zoom out on the concrete. If you zoom out on the abstract, you as you're never gonna answer the abstract question. We'll never have enough data to be totally certain of your conclusions. Right. But if you zoom out on the pragmatic question, when I die, will I be glad that I spent my whole life trying to radically love the other? Or will I regret that I did that and wish that I had enjoyed myself more, um, had gone on more expensive trips, had pampered myself more, had experienced as much pleasure as I could experience? Um, And of course, there's maybe some middle third ways or whatever. But, you know, uh, I tend to think when I zoom out, I I look at the old people I know that I want to be most like, and they are the most Christ-like. Yeah. So, the you know the you the, just you just go for that the peace <laughs> the peace filled grandpa yeah I, I know exactly yeah, they're they're in as a, in opposed a, I, to the asshole grandpa yes right? absolutely yep up. I deal yep. I, I deal with that all the time are like the elderly are like the best people for us to be looking at yeah like, I do want to become you I don't want to become you yes. how did you do this yeah you know <laughs> absolutely yeah. Give, me the, give me the secret sauce man yes. That's right. That's right. Dude, well, Dan, oh, I know we're, we're out of time, so I want to let you go. But thanks so, so, so much for yes. coming on. It's been an incredibly enlightening conversation. Rad. And uh, if people want to find me, uh, Depolarized Podcast is out now. Reconstruct yeah. Podcast is coming soon. I'm on Twitter at Dan, K-O-C-H, and whatever. You awesome. Can- Are your bands doing anything, too, you want to Yeah, you just re- released a new album. Yeah, Sherwood put a record out uh, last summer that I was really proud of. Just check it out. It's called Some Things Never Leave You, tongue-in-cheek title uh, for your reunion album. And I, I think we might have some more shows in the fall, but nothing is confirmed right now. And that's that's all I've got going on right now. Cool, man. We will, we will definitely have to have a okay, part cool. two, man. The conversation was great. Yeah, was yeah great. I'll come back on anytime. Awesome, bud. And by, awesome. let me just say, Thanks, too. Man. Uh, and I know we're trying to end here, but this work you guys are doing, I mean, I really think that uh, recovery work and gospel work are like barely even a Venn diagram. They're so similar. Yes, that's what we think too. Thank you for, yes, thank you for that. Yeah. And I, I, I've really been, I really love David Foster Wallace's writing. About uh, this yeah. Time. I think he really seizes on that and understands it in a very religious way. Um, so I, I'm really grateful for what you guys are doing. Keep Thank, you. Thank you. Thank we you. Appreciate we appreciate that. that man. All right, Dan. Cool, dude. All right, guys. It's all I can think about. I can't bottle it up with you. 
So I tried to get my wife to come on and say, oh, that was a great interview and talk, and it was going to be this joke thing, and she just refused. So, what a great interview. That was good. <laughs> I, saw her. I saw her in the background poke her head out and go like, no. mm, give you yeah. no. now. No, I can't do that. Whatever. But that was a really good interview, though. <sighs> that was a great interview. That, uh, and we, a, we super appreciate Dan Coke coming on. Probably. For sure. Definitely I'll take him up on his offer and have him on again. Um, yeah, most definitely. So let's take care of some house cleaning. i got to get out of here. Yeah, me too. Um, so go check out our Patreon. It's below. We'll send you cool stickers. We just got samples in. So they're coming coming hot off the press at you. And then email us. We have an email below too. And then Facebook and Twitter. Open this oh, and, and to plug it. All right, Patreon listeners. Uh, I just dropped... So me and Dirty Mike and three other of my friends went to So What Festival and re-recorded an episode in the hotel, and it is, like, I'll put it this way, if, even if my mom donates, I'll, I'll take it off the Patreon list. Like, it's it's raw, okay, <laughs> people? Like, it's hilarious, and it's raw. Uh, so yeah. if you want to hear that, just give us a buck, a dollar. I know. Ex- except you, Miriam. You will never hear this, ever. I'm Ever. A, I'm going to slide it to No, it. no, 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 no. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Y'all. Thanks, congregation. We'll catch you on the Bye. Show.